Hey there, Ruby fans! Welcome to another episode of Ruby Redux here on Rooster Team Radio. Tonight we are talking about Volume 8, Episode 10, Ultimatum. (laughs) As you can hear, I'm certainly not alone, Uh, so let me go ahead and introduce my fantastic co-host. Joining us tonight is the wonderful Katie Cullen. What was that? (laughs) It's the kind of voice you give when you're giving an ultimatum. Do you need a lozenge? No. Yes. I think you do. My parents died at sea. There it is. <laughs> so hi, Katie. That's the kind of night we're having tonight. Hi, all my buddies. <laughs> Joining us also is the lovely Stacy Shuttleworth. Honestly, tonight I am just here to hear Megan talk like that. Please carry on. <laughs> Swear to me. No. And uh, we've also, I mean, it's been a while, but guys, we have a special treat. Joining us once again is the internet's own Mark B. Donica. Where, where the hell did you pull my parents died at sea? Like, I want to know. Oh, God. I'm, you, I, I had like... I had like a bit and then like a backup bit and then like a backup backup bit that I was going to do. But you, you, for goodness sake, just wiped all of that from any My parents died at sea. Like the, uh, yeah, no, Stacey, I'm with you. I'm, you know what? We have a, we have a new written podcast that, that we're going to be doing. And it's the, the story of the, the naval exploits of, of Megan's parents. Oh my oh, no. god. Oh no. There is an explanation for this. Do you want to hear it? I I think I think for the sake like I think we should press on and and leave leave the audience wanting more and maybe we do a, a subsequent. But yes, thank you for that wonderful introduction and and thank you everybody um for for your support. Um I just wanted to to put it out there. I know that we we did an episode where I was like, you know what, we're gonna take mental health breaks. And then I wasn't on the show for three months. But I just want to <laughs> let everybody know that um I I got a gig that carried over from the end of last year into uh very recently, which uh has uh, f- finished for now. So and I and I really wanted to focus on that. So I want to thank everybody and thank uh, everybody here for for keeping the keeping the show going and you know all of that all of that uh, goodness teamwork and and all that um, and thank you to all of the listeners who are like oh, I hope you're okay yeah I was I was fine it was work and I had to focus on work um, but I'm I'm very happy to be back and I also wanted to put over the welcome to Vale episode that we put out for Valentine's Day I know it's way past Valentine's Day now but. If you are a new listener or you subscribe just to Ruby Redux, please make sure to go back and listen to all of the other stuff that we do on this channel, including uh, Welcome to Vale, which is our uh, fan fiction uh, audio <laughs> podcast series that that sort of mixes the style of Welcome to Night Vale and Ruby. We did our version of a fairy tale with the tale of Sir Valentino. Uh, or the tale of Sir Vincent. Whoops. Anyway, you could probably figure it out. We put it on a Valentine's Day. Blah 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 blah. blah. But that was a, a wonderful thing uh, that uh, Megan and I had been planning for a really long time, and then <laughs> we were planning to put it out last year, and then life. Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> um, but make sure you go check that out, and and thank you again. For, and I'm I am so overheated from just laughing about. 
Uh, mm. uh, I need a minute. All right. <laughs> well, oh, go ahead. Bonus points to anyone who got the reference. Let's be real. I know there's a few of you out there. I, I will give you this hint, Mark. It is, in fact, a reference. Uh, <laughs> I didn't just pull that out of a hat. Um, it, I didn't just pull that out of the ether or make reference to like a specific audio drama that I had been working workshopping in my head. It is a real thing that is out there right now. So yes, bonus points to, for, for anybody who got the reference. <laughs> but um, yeah, for real though, it is so nice having you back, Mark. And again, Thank you also so much for all of the hard work that you put into for that episode of Welcome to Vale. It came out in a way that I'm I'm really, really proud of. Um, one of my my favorite things to do is listen to like um horror audio dramas on my my walks around the neighborhood when when I choose to venture outside. And um I I got a real kick out of getting to listen to this essentially feature length um story that we did and it was it was an absolute joy to hear the way mark put everything together so thanks man god bless you appreciate that (laughs) all right but uh guys we have an episode of ruby to talk about tonight so please everyone step into our humble abode and let's talk ultimatum so guys (laughs) <laughs> no. Come on! You went, you went back. You went back into the voice, and I went back to the line. <laughs> oh, All right. Well, please come inside. Please come inside, so we can talk about this show. All right, guys. This episode was absolutely jaw dropping and astounding in so many different ways. Uh, yeah, let's just go ahead and get first impressions. Mark, it's been a little while. If if you're ready, if if you still need time to recover from, from that line, uh, from me doing that voice, that's fine. We can go to somebody else. But what did you think of this episode? But aside from that, no, 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 no. That was me. That was me trying to decide if I was going to say anything about uh, talking about any of the episodes that I missed. But I'm not going to do that. So instead, um, the the first part of this ep- like multiple parts of this episode, felt like a finale. Like the we had a resolution, but then a like a a new destination. You know, like a lot of this sto- a lot of certain story beats were going to be left hanging so that we we have to deal with it by the end of uh of this episode or we have to wait a year like everything at the top with the explosion and neo getting away and seeing our, our villains sort of like recuperating and and figuring out their direction and everybody just sort of cobbling themselves back together and standing up there was it it felt really finale-esque and if this felt finale-esque if the stakes of this episode which by the end of it were ridiculously high if if (laughs) we have four episodes left and it's only the stakes are only going to get higher and higher and higher and we're gonna really hope that they're gonna stop at a certain point but (laughs) we know this writing team they're not (laughs) they're gonna keep going and keep going to fulfill sort of the expectations that have been built upon and and this show is we thought 
you know, we, we know that there are certain levels, like metatextually, we know that this show has some more legs. We, we have more places to go. We have more relics to get. So seeing Salem with a full out assault on one of our major cities, despite, you know, that metatextual thing of, oh, we have more places to go. The feeling of this could be it. Like, is it going to be this battle for X amount of seasons and we and it's just going to become a chase show like <laughs> this? The stakes couldn't be higher, but they're going to be. And that's terrifying. I, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head. Um, basically, all of Kruby has been telling us for weeks you know, buckle up because you're not ready. And I think when we got to sit down and watch this episode, um, I think I finally understood what they meant. Um, but <laughs> uh, Stacy, how about you? What did you think of this episode? We were really given a moment to breathe in this episode, and I am horrified for what the rest of it looks like. <laughs> like we had, we almost had to slow down and kind of reset a few things, and like take a wider look at everything that's going on and we we got a bigger glimpse of of where everyone's at we kind of got to place a lot of our characters and kind of see where their heads are at and we've been so high powered thus far and this episode was not low energy by any means but we did have a slight breather a little bit of settling to where we got to see where everyone was and we're just going to launch right back into it, isn't it? Aren't we? Just, <laughs> I'm very scared. I would say welcome to hell, but we never left. Oh, we did not. And we really we really saw the adults get uppity in this episode, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Ironwood had like a, a great word. Uh, they got super uppity. Ironwood had his own like little 12 episode mini arc in the span of two minutes. <laughs> James, you need to go to the corner and think about what you've done. We do not break furniture in this house. Ten seconds per episode. I mean, just oh no, we're doomed. Oh wait, we have hope. No, we're doomed again. No, there's hope. So James was basically living the 2020 experience. Clearly, uh-huh. <laughs> you know what? Maybe maybe that's why it was so relatable. Ten seconds per month. <laughs> The math shakes out. (laughs) That's very true. That's the biggest of moods. Katie, how about you? Thoughts on this episode? I fucking love this episode. This, oh my God. Stacy's absolutely right in that we got a little bit of time to breathe in terms of peaks and valleys and intensity. This was a valley, but it's one of those little tiny ones before things keep getting even worse. And... I, for one, am looking forward to Kruby taking the next four episodes to just destroy us. I'm, I'm, I tried to come up with a wrestling description and I don't know wrestling well enough to do any of that, but it's about to be even worse. And I, we, we have hit the Tin Man threatens to commit genocide unless <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood hands over Pinocchio. And I need to look up the credit for the person who wrote that because that is a Tumblr post that I'm quoting. But um, Katie, might yeah. I interest you in Once Upon a Time? No, actually. Because it only, it only gets weirder. <laughs> I watched Once Upon a Time for two and a half seasons. So the I'm answer so to sorry. that is no, actually. Yeah, no, I, I don't remember where I fell off, but oh, Boise. <laughs> it didn't take long for me. 
right? <laughs> it was not a long stay there. Oh. I thought the yeah. first season was okay. <laughs> it was, and then they kept going. They made a Tron reference, and I lost my mind, and I stayed on for like another season and a half to be like, you going to fulfill oh, this? Mark. The answer was no. The reference was a lunchbox. But then, but they, they did more. They did more than that. Anyway, we're not talking about Storybrooke. Let's get out of here. <laughs> then you stuck around a lot longer than I did because all I saw was the lunchbox. And believe me, that thing was impossible to find on eBay. I looked. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we all know Katie's a little crazy for her fandom. Sky blue, water wet, etc. Um, I loved this. I loved... I, more than one point, I sat back and went, who storyboarded this part? Because there were so many parts where just the storyboarding, the camera movements, choosing what to focus on, choosing how to frame things. Like, I don't usually sit there and go, who did the storyboards for this? Tell me how you laid this out. But I definitely did for this episode because there were multiple instances of, oh, no, this is brilliant. Whoever put this together like this, this is brilliant. Congratulations. Holy shit. We're all gonna die. <laughs> it it just, oh my god. Oh my god, this entire episode. Uh, yeah, I, I have to concur with each and every one of those sentiments. This episode was <laughs> such a game changer. It was so, so good. I was on the edge of my seat. And even though, um... We are very much dealing with, as as Stacy mentioned, like this is an episode where everybody gets a moment to breathe. It is also very much the aftermath of an explosion, um, and everybody having to to settle and deal with the fallout. And um, I feel like this episode conveyed that tone very, very well. And um, as Mark was saying, then subsequently set up the next conflict that is to come while ultimately raising the stakes as they go. So yeah, no, this episode was absolutely spectacular and I can't wait to see how the rest of the season continually kicks us in the face. If like, this is episode 10, we got four more. It's going to be a hell of a ride. I am so happy. Um, but okay, let's go ahead and start digging into this episode. Um, I, I, I want to knock it out of the way really quick. We have a jailbird update. <laughs> we have an update on the jailbirds, but it, that's, that's basically all we get. Uh, Crow and Robin have flown the coop. I repeat, the jailbirds have flown the coop. And uh, that's basically all we get from them in this episode, but it is a significant update. Um, one, because I can't wait to see what their team up entails. And two, it pisses off James. So I'm, all, <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. Stacy, what do you think is uh, going to come of these jailbirds flying the coop? First of all, first, Jacques Chenille did just stay in jail. <laughs> that too, just, I forgot He just that. stayed there. He just stayed there. Am I still arrested? The answer was yes. <laughs> And meanwhile, Ironwood's like, nobody cares, Jacques! <laughs> Excuse me, I'm new to this. Am I still arrested? <laughs> he was. Ironwood he just flipped. sat there until they took him back into custody. Uh, and Ironwood's just like, great, the consolation prize. <laughs> right? Ugh. This, I we saw something pretty terrifying out of Crow in like the very brief glimpse that we got out of him. 
This is a very wild uh, a murder expression of in his eye. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a bird tackle a man. <laughs> Thank you, Ruby, for giving us these gifts. <laughs> I mean, you know they had that happen behind that piece of rubble because I don't think anyone wants to try animating a transformation sequence or even know what that would be. Like... I don't think anyone wants to tackle the visuals for that. So it makes sense to do it off screen. But also, yes, that entire man just got taken out by a bird. And it was not an ostrich. It was a crow. Like if it had been an emu, I would understand. Emus are scary and they want a war. But a crow. He doesn't want to talk about it, okay? <laughs> he flips Is his he hair. still alive? Uh, it doesn't sure matter, Duck Schnee's still in jail. True. <laughs> still in jail. Yay. Thank God. At least we get something nice today. <laughs> <laughs> one thing. <laughs> one thing. You can like one thing. You've still got that asshole to deal with. It's no. the opposite of the one fear panel. <laughs> one thing. <laughs> um, but yeah. Thoughts on where they're going next, Stacy? I think Crow is going to just kind of tear a warpath in James's direction, and Robin is going to either one be very long for the ride, or be maybe trying to temper that uh, that anger a little bit. I think that's fair. I I really like the idea of them teaming up. Um, And yeah, it'll be very interesting to see where their priorities lie. Katie, how about you? I would imagine that they will try to heck up Ironwood's plans from the inside, especially if they were able to see that broadcast, which I would imagine they would, because they all still have, well, I don't know if they still have their scrolls. That's a good question. But I would imagine it being an emergency broadcast, there'd be a good chance of them being able to see it from wherever they wound up and knowing what just went down. So, yeah, I don't know how well Robin would be doing at tempering Crow's rage after, hey, so if you don't do what I want, I am going to kill everyone in Mantle comes down the line. Like, you can only really go so far. I will say the one missed opportunity in this scene is that literally nobody used the phrase "flew the coop." They didn't. They didn't say it, and they should have. I think the one the, thing where I was like, "God damn it!" If the guards weren't like about to be reprikilled, I think they might have <laughs> eviscerated by Ironwood's yeah. stony glare. Yeah, eviscerated. I, uh, I feel like that pun was on the tip of Winter's tongue, and she just had to nope. reel it in. Not she read the room. <laughs> Not the time. I don't have to be Ren to know that this is a bad idea. Uh, so yeah, Mark, what do you think? I, I I had a similar thought of like, what if they saw the broadcast, what are they going to do? But now a good point of maybe they don't have their stuff because you know somebody would be like doom scrolling on their scroll if they were in their like any of the scenes that we saw of them in their cells but uh, aside from that i i think robin is going to convince crow 
I, I think if anything, we might have a, a scene where they talk about it, where one wants to go one way, one wants to go the other, and the audience isn't going to know until they boom, show up. So I, and I, and I honestly think they're going to show up in mantle first. I I think that Crow is going to table the revenge because he trusts, he trusts the girls and he trusts the the whole team. Um, Cause I, I wonder if that would lead to a, uh, uh, between the the Aesops and uh the the happy huntresses that's a that's a fight that we still really haven't seen like go all out and we know that team ruby can beat the Aesops. so i think that's that's going to happen in mantle ultimately and crow is going to be there my question is could the huntresses beat the Aesops plus winter I feel like she's winter's not going winter is not going (laughs) legit. (laughs) You saw the fear in her eyes. Oh my (laughs) God. Oh my God. And you know, James, James, we're not even at that scene. There's so much to unpack from that scene of, of how far off James has gone and we will get there. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not going to lie. I I wanted to talk about this this moment at the top of the show so that we could talk about other things in the episode because I know if we talk strictly about the Aesop storyline, uh it's going to be like an hour <laughs> in before we get to our iTunes read. But I mean, we could just go into the Aesop storyline. Like <laughs> what what do you guys feel like? Where where's your heart <laughs> drawing you to? <laughs> despair (laughs) i mean let's be real on one half of the episode we've got the aesops and ironwood and on the other half of the episode we have walking through the i almost said the sewers goddamn the subways uh reuniting and the incredible monologue from watts so I figure we've got about an equal amount of content on either side, and we're already here talking about James's leap off the slippery slope. So uh, let's just do it. All right. Well, <laughs> as James is receiving all this news, before he can check in with the Aesops, that's when the explosion happens. The explosion but, um, of Ozpin's magic inside of Monstra. And kudos to Rooster Teeth on this one for, for providing that photosensitive content warning at the top of the episode. Uh, I feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot more people should do that when um, there's photosensitive material in their content. Um, so it was really nice to see Rooster Teeth do that. Um, I always really appreciate content warnings like that. Um, even though it doesn't bother me, I'm glad that it's there for the people who do need it. So again, kudos, Rooster Teeth. Keep doing that thing. Keep doing <laughs> that thing you do. Yeet. <laughs> um, but this explosion is absolutely massive and i don't know why at the end of the last episode i i didn't think it was going to be as um impactful i suppose uh as as we got to see it in this episode i i you know i just kind of figured it fade to white uh we'll come back to it later uh i 
I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting this. What was your reaction upon seeing this explosion? Let's start with Katie. Just a lot of yelling, I think. And I think part of this is, we grew up on anime. Specifically, we grew up on DBZ. Let's be real. It gave us patience and inured us to the scope of an explosion. And shit blows up in Ruby a lot. So you see the explosion from the end of last episode and you're like, all right, we're going to have a fairly good size explosion. Okay. It's how the narrative treats this explosion. It's, again, I go back to who storyboarded this sequence, you're a fucking genius. The camera angles, the lighting, just everything we see where the narrative just kind of Will Smith's at the explosion and goes this. This takes some emphasis. Let's give this the emphasis that it deserves to really make the audience understand that, yeah, no, this is a big thing that just happened. This isn't your usual anime explosion. This is an indicator of shit going down. So yeah, this this was incredible, and there was much yelling and oh, oh, ho, ho, ho going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like I said, it was pretty impactful. Mark, how about you? Man. That's what I got. No. Um. <laughs> Reasonable. Just like, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, we're we're sitting outside, and it's King of the Hill, and we're just drinking, and like, yep, it, it'd be, it to be like that, though. Um, <laughs> uh. I, I really <laughs> um it's okay should, to be like it left me speechless <laughs> where should where 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 to start <laughs> um co- come back to me because i'm i'm still like try- like i even have notes and i'm like what where am i stacy what did you, what was your reaction upon seeing this explosion it was magnificent mm. It was really, I mean, yeah, as Katie said, from a storyboarding perspective, seeing the multiple perspectives, seeing how it showed up to all of our characters who are in different locations, how it affected all of them differently, yet in a very similar kind of manner. And it it really answered my question because the last episode, at the end of the last episode, I was just sitting there going, "What, what happened? What's what's going to happen what did that do what did he do what are they doing and then this came on screen and was like oh oh that that makes sense and it was a very satisfying resolution to to all of that energy from that previous fight uh and then i had to reckon with the the huge fear of oh no, Oscar and Oz just had a huge conversation about how using his magic brought them closer together. Is Oscar okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Glad for the reassurance later in the episode that this was, you know, the built-up kinetic energy uh, exploding in a very, very magnificent manner. Yeah, it it was positively gorgeous. Mark, we're circling back to you. Hi, I'm back. So I realized why I have nothing to say because I already said it in my like uh, recap of like this felt like a season finale. Like this yeah. felt like we had this this big climactic event with and everything going on. So 
I, I just echo those sen- sentiments and everybody else's that have already been said. What do you, what do you think, Megan? Tell, <laughs> uh, we we want to know what you think, please. I I thought it was one. It was positively shocking. Like I said, I was not expecting it um, in the slightest. And outside of that, it was just it was beautiful. It was beautifully animated. Um, like this episode, like as a whole. Um, had some of Ruby's, I think, most artistic moments um, in it. And I think this explosion and and the sequence of not only the colors of the explosion, but the immediate, like, silhouetted appearance of Winter and the Aesops right after it exploded, um, being pushed back from, from the blast, like, um, and then just the continual falling ash, um, you know, in, in the subsequent scene, it was just, and, and monstrous decaying form. Um, yeah, it was just, it was absolutely spectacular. And I, I like, I struggle to think of like an opening of an, of an episode of Ruby that felt more impactful. Like this episode just absolutely kicked me in the face (laughs) and I couldn't wait for it to do it again. Can I just say that I love that when we look back at Monstra, it's not the whole thing obliterated and that though a bunch of the flesh is gone, we have these whale bones still with viscera on them standing up. I love it. I love it so much. It's so fucked up. I love it. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things where clearly so much hard work and effort went into creating these visuals and putting this moment together. Um, yeah, it was just, it was chef kiss. It was beautiful. (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh, in the wake of this explosion though, uh, you know, all pretty much, not all the grim, because you can still see some of them flying around in the background, but a, a good chunk of the grim, uh, in this, in the area are, are knocked. I, I, I don't know if it like disintegrated them, but it seemed to have obliterated a good chunk of the grim in the immediate area and um which is great because that (laughs) that was definitely an immediate problem and it makes me wonder about whether or not the apathy actually ended up in the tunnels but you know (laughs) we'll cross that bridge when we get to it um but what let's start with the immediate aftermath uh with the Aesops because they had the payload they were making the charge and this explosion happened before they were able to even get close. Um, and Marrow seems to be the one to put it together first. The kids that they sent in to retrieve Oscar were still inside when that explosion happened. And not seeing them in the immediate vicinity, uh, like the assumption is kind of that Jean, Ren, and Yang, and Oscar didn't necessarily make it out that's not something that they're able to confirm one way or another uh because they get called back to base by ironwood there is a quick moment here that i do want to touch on a little bit only because i missed it the first time i was watching the episode um winter looks like she wants to comfort marrow um as he's the one that put that together but distinctly doesn't but then there's also this moment where Vine places his hand on Elm's shoulder to, you know, to like in a, in a moment 
that looked like he was reaching out in like a moment of camaraderie and she very pointedly knocks his hand away like like I said, I missed it the first time around. and But upon seeing it the second time, I was just like, oh boy. Yeah, no, all of the Aesops are on very, very different pages. And I just, uh, yeah, let's let's take a temperature check <laughs> on the Aesops <laughs> after this episode. Where do we all think they're all currently at? Because right now, Harriet still seems to be very much in revenge mode. Marrow and Winter seem like they could turn um, at the drop of a hat. And Elm and Vine are still kind of question marks, but they also don't seem to be all that motivated to change. So uh, having seen this episode, what's everybody's t- t- like take on where the Aesops are currently at? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Mark. Man, there I am again with that same <laughs> concept, but I I think because of where where winter is headed, uh, which is going to be nowhere near the battlefield and maybe even in custody with her dad. Oh God, that's going to be an uncomfortable scene. Oh, oh no! Uh, Your lips to Kruby's ears, man. C- I want it. No, well, so <laughs> so so here's the thing. It's already animated, probably. <laughs> I I will accept uh, any anybody from Kruby listening because I know some of you do. I expect a text message saying, "Don't you don't um, don't don't put that energy out into the world." But I think I th- I think we might. I I think that uh, we're we're gonna see Winter and Jacques, but I also think we're going to see Marrow break Winter out, and that might be or at least try to break winter out. And that's where our unfortunate prediction from uh, last season is going to come true. And, and the good boy will be the gone boy. But uh, other than that, I, I, I I see them going and trying to take care of the situation in, uh, in mantle. I almost said matless in mantle and, (laughs) um, and get, like they're gonna see how much the the and I was gonna say the Merry Wives. They're not the Merry Wives. They're the Happy Huntresses. What the hell? I miss Renfro. Are you but okay? The no. Merry Wives of Windsor. Yeah, the the Merry Wives from uh, Rogues Reef at the Southern California Renaissance Pleasure Fair. Anyway, we're uh, right. God, they announced that it was taken to season. Okay, I'm getting this beer is mysteriously empty. But uh, <laughs> are you I, saying I, Ruby drives us all to drink? Yeah. You say that like we're not already there. We're t- we we're here. there. Like vessel check, like really, truly. Um but I have uh, lemonade. I don't <laughs> <know> yet. <laughs> but um I, I think they're gonna go like they're gonna make sure that well no, they're gonna deliver the payload. I think I think uh Ironwood is going to have them deliver the payload personally. <sighs> and that's when we're gonna get like a moment like Dark Knight, where it's the two boats and the two bombs, and and all right, who's gonna actually hit go? And that delay is gonna cause some sort of a like the then the the happy huntresses are gonna show up, yada 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 yada. But I think the, at the very least, the Aesops are going to completely implode, maybe literally. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Welcome back, Mark. Hey, what's up? Hey. Happy um, to be here. 
Happy to have you. Stacy, how about you? You know, I used to really like how completely unflappable Vine seemed. And now it's just kind of chilling. And I don't yeah. <laughs> just just completely. All right. Well, this is what we're doing. And it was really interesting. I clocked that moment too, Megan, between Elm and Vine, where he almost goes to, I guess, comfort her. And I think I'm reading kind of Elm's reaction more as like, a, I'm not being sentimental. Stop it. Because I think she's still... Or like, you don't have to baby me. Right, right. Yeah, mm. don't, don't take pity on me. Don't like... I don't need anyone's comfort. There's nothing that I need to be comforted about. This is fine. Everything's fine. These are just orders. This is the job. And I don't know that she entirely believes that anymore, but I also don't know that it's enough to have her start disobeying orders. So there, yeah, I think Vine and Elm are the, the two kind of interesting ones. Everyone else, I think we're pretty clear on where they stand. Uh, Harriet is just ready to fight and ready to jump on board Ironwood's plan unfortunately yeah I mean part of the the whole thing about the tortoise and the hare is that the uh the hare rushes into things Mm -hmm. so yeah it's gonna be interesting Katie what do you think honestly the vibe check here is just not okay (laughs) not okay vibe check no 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 <laughs> yeah honestly i would not be surprised if harriet just burns out in some fantastic fashion she is running on rage and spite right now and as good a motivator as that can be in the short term it will completely wreck your shit depending on how long you try to go. And in a situation like this, you can only go for so long before something shows up and hits you in the face. And if y'all are right and it's, hey, Aesop's, go deliver the payload to murder a bunch of innocent people that we're supposed to be protecting, that's... I made a comment earlier about Ironwood leaping off the slippery slope and, uh, yeah. Well, well I mean... Sorry, on top of that, sending them to detonate it in person. Like, not just, hey, kill all of the citizens of Mantle. Kill yourselves to make sure that it happens. Because that's (laughs) your job. Uh, I had not read that as a sacrifice yourselves for the line of duty bit. Um, If that's the case, I would imagine he would make Winter do it. (laughs) Mm, No, because she wouldn't. she, She would... That he would send the whole team with her to make sure that she does it. Right. Oh my god. Yeah, maximum ugh, efficacy. Or, yeah, throw well, money after bad. The highest punishment you can give, yeah. Anyway, terrible, terrible vibes on this <laughs> erstwhile team. Uh, yeah, I do think that Marrow is going to break. I would not be surprised to see Winter in jail with her dad. I need that now, Mark. How dare you give me this? You're welcome. I need Ruby to give it to me now. I hope that they read your mind months I have and a gu- months ago when this was scripted. <laughs> I have a guy to call to blame yeah, if it's exactly. <laughs> to blame if if it's not there. <laughs> How dare they not do exactly what we want when this was scripted months and maybe well, not maybe years. We know what this production line looks like, but. 
advanced before we ever knew about it. The animation pipeline is an extremely long one, kids. Do not presume to think that they make episodes week to week. They've been working on this shit for a while. Yeah, so problems within the Aesops. I do think that if there's one person left standing in the staunchly in Ironwood's camp area, it's gonna be Elm. Everyone else is some flavor of crapshoot. Yeah, I, I, I think, like you said, we kind of can tell where everybody stands at this particular moment. Um, my question is, how much is that going to change given what we find out at the end of the episode and yeah whether or not james's decision at the end of the episode pushes any one set of people over the line if that changes any minds etc cetera, etc cetera. that being said let's talk about james because <laughs> oh man like you said mark <laughs> quite a bit to unpack here oh boy so it feels a little John Mulaney. Like, now we don't have the time to unpack all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but we do, and we're going to do it. We're going to try anyway. <laughs> um, so he calls uh, Winter and the Aesops back, uh, and finds out that it wasn't actually the payload going off that destroyed the giant Grim where Salem was at. Uh, and so he ultimately realizes, okay, we still have the payload. This is good. This is a good thing. Winter, I'm going to need you to bring me Jean, Ren, and Yang. Uh, <laughs> it's so it's so clear to me now. Why didn't I see it before? I had Crow, and I didn't do what was necessary. I won't make that mistake again. All I have to do is use Penny's friends, like lives as leverage, in order to get her to see reason. I cannot believe I did not think of this before. And he puts his hand on her shoulder and she refuses to make eye contact with him. And that's when Harriet decides to be a friggin' narc and <laughs> rat her out. Not cool, Harriet. Um, but upon learning that he's lost his absolutely last bargaining chip, uh, as he as he puts it in terms of being able to manipulate Penny in some regard since they've lost Watts, uh, he comes completely unhinged and he's, he full on breaks the table in half and he comes to the realization when he sees the Schnee Dust Company ships flying down to Mantle and he makes the erroneous assumption like, oh, I see they've all been plotting against me. <laughs> this has been about Mantle all this time. And never mind, it's just about trying to save lives, as many lives as possible. No, this is all about undermining my authority. Um, and he just goes full cuckoo for Cocoa Pants. <laughs> I don't know, no, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I don't know what cuckoo for Cocoa Pants is. But yeah, I don't know, but I love it. I was about to comment that I found it really amusing that you could not get through any of these pseudo Ironwood deliveries without laughing. And then you gave us Cuckoo for Cocoa Pants, which I think needs to be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, 
um, and this is this is the moment that we've been building up to for multiple volumes now, where James has been dr- basically been driven to his absolute brink and is now, unless he's bluffing, which I highly doubt, he has now gone off the deep end and is now willing to actively murder innocent people yeah innocent people on a massive scale because he did shoot a council member uh at the beginning of this volume and he tried to kill oscar at the end of the last volume so he had already made the decision that killing innocent people was acceptable but he has not only decided that killing innocent people is acceptable for the greater good but killing innocent people on a massive scale is okay as long as it gets him what he wants and that i think is like there's no going back from a decision like that from a dissent like that and you know like any true villain he still thinks what he's doing ultimately is right (laughs) and so he has gone full villain and i don't think there's any coming back from that but all in all, what did we think, as, as, as Stacy put it earlier, he kind of went through an entire character arc just in the span of this one episode, just in terms of his emotional journey. But what did we think of Ironwood's descent into madness in this episode? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Katie. I continue to call it leaping off the slippery slope, and that's that's not a clever turn of phrase on my part. That is full-on on TV tropes, where it's, you can kind of start to see the descent, and you can see the path of the descent, and then the person in question, instead of taking the path of the descent, goes, this moral's empty, yeet, and just throws themselves off. And that's kind of what we did here. Like, we got a chunk of the descent, and then we went, but what if genocide? And did that instead. It's just like, oh god, here we go. Like, we knew it was going to be problems from the get-go. We knew it was going to be problems since he shot Oscar. And then especially, and then even more, after he shot the councilman. But it's just, he's been, sir, not appearing in this volume for so long. That I think we as a fandom kind of backburnered him a little bit. And I might just be projecting how I think onto everyone else. That's possible. I'm on a podcast. I can do that. Uh, <laughs> it's been a week, folks. Um, yeah, I really do think that it's one of those things where we know it's a problem and we know it's going to get worse, but we have been so focused on, holy shit, the hound, holy shit, Oscar has Salem, this and that and the other, Soylent Hound is people, it's just so, so many other different pressing matters. That when Ironwood finally comes back into the fray fully, it's like, oh yeah, we forgot he was a problem. Oh, he didn't forget that he was a problem. Oh, oh, he is going to show up and cause problems on purpose. Yikes. So this is awful for the situation. This is incredible as a story moment. And this is beautiful for the character development just God damn, it has been so interesting to see all of Oz's trusted lieutenants just falling apart 
when push comes to shove. Leo turning on him, Ironwood deciding that he knows best and being completely unwilling to listen to anything else to the point where multiple, multiple, many, 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 an entire city's worth of innocent people is acceptable collateral for him to get what he thinks is the right choice. He is beyond listening to anyone else at this point. So it's just, it's one of those, I'm, I'm the sane person. They're all crazy. <laughs> no, it's the children who are wrong. It's that. It's that. Am I so out of touch for wanting to bomb an entire city? No, it's the children who are wrong. We're at that point. That's not a good point to be at, but that's where we are. I love this. I will be amazed if he survives this arc. Not necessarily this volume, because we know that eight will feed into nine, and we're kind of getting a three-parter here. But this arc, I will be amazed if he makes it out the other side intact. Stacy, how about you? I like what Katie said about kind of how we kind of put Ironwood on the back burner a little bit. I think we kind of scrubbed up some of his past actions and we're kind of sitting at that point where, look, Ironwood just needs a teddy bear, a cup of hot <laughs> cocoa, some therapy, and everything will be okay. Yeah, that's not going to do it anymore. <laughs> he bent those knees and launched himself off the slope. And gosh, just the way he acts and the, like, bad decisions and affinity for genocide aside, <laughs> we see the <Okay>. way. <laughs> what else? He's, he has an affinity for genocide now. But the way he treats the people in his life that were once close to him. And we see it with how he treats Penny and we see it with how he treats Winter the moment when he shifts that absolute just the coldness when he lifts his arm, his hand off of Winter's shoulder and just completely that that's it. She has been cut off from his trust. And he treats these people that he, you know, once championed, once was going to save the world with uh, as mere actively tools. protected too yes and now we've seen them demolished to just tools in his eyes penny i mean if penny doesn't show up and open the vault either watts is incompetent or he betrayed us he doesn't even consider penny being a person Penny having friends looking out for her, having someone to protect her, even though he was once one of her protectors. It's all mechanics and plans and black and white things working out the way he thinks that they absolutely should. And he is absolutely right. And there is no room for argument or opinions in this world. Yeah, it's really unnerving. Like... Especially that moment you were talking about, that shift. Whew, chills. Mm -hmm. Absolute and, chills. And here's what's fun about that. And by fun, I mean absolutely awful. She grew up in a home with an abusive father. Trying so hard to please someone who will never be pleased and knowing that shift when you fall out of their favor. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, hmm. Yeah. Crystal clear. Yeah. No. Yeah. No question there. 
just those flashbacks of, oh, oh, this is why I left home. And it's happening again. Oh. Yeah. This this scene is heartbreaking on a number of levels. Mark, how about you? What did you think of James's just ultimately downward spiral? Ironwood with his dramatic ass, Mr. Cellophane ass, you'll be back ass, despot ass bullshit. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Can I put it better myself? Wow! Look, there it is! Look, Y'all, I I had like yes and, but I had to get that out there. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. See, Mark, the the musical number that came to my mind looking at Ironwood at the start of this episode was actually Stars, not <laughs> Mr. Cellophane. Mm. But I like your take on it. This dramatic ass spotlight, like he's on fucking Broadway. Come on. <laughs> And, and y'all solo acts a little better because Mr. Cellophane is the number of someone, the constantly overlooked person, and that's not Ironwood. He's made sure of that. What what you know, as as we've expressed before in the show, he thinks he is. He thinks he is the person making this he is the person making the sacrifice. He is the person that is standing in front of all of this adversity and He's he's the victim here when he's about to commit light genocide, you know, like light? what's the it's so it's it's that it's I, I, I put that in that I wrote that down, by the way, but I put that in there <laughs> as the one side of the coin is how he sees himself and the other side of the coin of I will kill all your friends and family to remind you of remind my love. You like, of my love. Yeah, yeah, like that. <laughs> so it's that dichotomy. Uh, of the of the the man and the machine <laughs> but like yes and to yes and to all of the everything that that you put so much more eloquently than i did <laughs> it's yeah it, i mean like i said we've been we've been building up to this moment for a good long while now and um i've always like i i have so many mixed feelings about this because i liked ironwood as a character from the moment he was introduced um and i have a, a real affinity for uh heroes and villains alike who are that lawful alignment and so i i very much had an affinity for ironwood since you know from the get-go and getting him reintroduced into the show was a real treat and getting him to to like you know seeing him be a mentor figure to team ruby and team everybody else like and getting having him promote them to huntsman like there were so many good things that i loved about this character and it breaks my heart that we've gotten to this point but at the same time you know i made i was really sympathetic to him for a long time because of that affinity um but I, I can't I can't feel bad for him anymore. He's made his choice. And now I'm like, well, damn, it was good while it lasted, James. It was good while it lasted. I mean, given the Javert parallels that you've made, um, if he doesn't die by falling off of a high place into a river, I will honestly be a little upset. And and like you mentioned, getting uh, being you mentioned you know there 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 was the change that we saw but there is that there are a couple of lines at least where he sounds like he did when we first met him 
and we it, it allowed us to make an emotional connection with how we did feel about him and it we had to confront that internally because of what he was actually doing which makes you reconsider everything you you have to reconsider well what was he thinking the moments when we were on his side what what was he thinking in the moments that we thought that we were on his side so it it completely similarly to the the revelation that we that we touched on of what Ospin's Kane does it sort of recontextualizes stuff early on in the ep- in the season in the series that was set up for an eventual payoff yeah I would agree. And even though I'm like heartbroken at this development at the same time, like just because I'm sad that one of my, one of my go-to favorite characters is now a villain. Like, here's the thing guys. That's okay. <laughs> That's not like bad writing at all. There are some, I don't know there. I feel like there are some people who are like, Oh, if, um, or if a character doesn't do the thing that I wanted them to do, then like, um, that means that the show is bad now. And it's like, no, guys, if you <laughs> just just because you're projecting what you want to happen onto a thing, that doesn't mean that that's what's best for the story. Like, I think by the time this volume or or at least this particular arc of Ruby is all said and done, I think we're going to be able to step back and look at Ironwood's entire character arc and be like, yeah. That was good. It was probably, it's probably going to have a tragic end, but mwah, excellent job. <laughs> Even if it makes us sad, because that's how writing works sometimes. <laughs> but I, whew, it's still, it's still a lot. It's still a lot, man. <laughs> okay, I think on that note, um, is there anything else we wanted to touch on? Um regarding james and his descent into full villainy um or winter and the aesops anything else we wanted to touch on just i don't think we really addressed the fact that he was shooting down ships that were meant to go help people and thank goodness we maintained that those were unmanned okay they were thank god jesus yes. yeah because yes. they, yes. they'd made a uh point of that Two, God, was it two episodes ago? It was talking mm-hmm. about how all they needed was Jacques' computer and Whitley could put in the programming for the autopilots, essentially for the drones to fly them down, pick people up and fly back up. So they got shot out of the sky while they had robots in them, but not people, which is still not a good thing, but not nearly as bad as it could have been. So yeah, it's still a terrible spectacle, but at least we didn't lose a bunch of pilots, too. Yikes. Well, it might not be great either, just given the call from May. Like, those were shot out of the sky. It's entirely possible that they landed right on top of the settlement in the mantle crater. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hence the get to the mines bit. But still, yikes. It's a yikes as opposed to a yikes. I don't know. It still feels like a pretty big yikes. <laughs> Stacy, how about you? Any final thoughts? Congrats on not being quite as absolutely horrific as you could have been, <laughs> but you came pretty close still. 
I mean, he still knew those were going to save people. He wasn't like, oh, no, it's an unknown threat. We don't know what they're trying to do. He knew what they were trying to do. He was just being rude as hell, making terrible decisions. <laughs> it's been about Mantle the whole time. But also, like, don't blame me. I've been in jail the whole time. <laughs> okay. Oh man, that's delightful. Um, I mean, you 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 mentioned it, Mark, but I really I loved the spotlight effect during during his actual ultimatum. <laughs> fossey, fossey, fossey energy. And specifically, <laughs> specifically the transition from uh, seeing him on the screen to seeing him in the room, like again, just. Mwah. It's these little touches that really go a long way. So well done, Kruby. Well done. I mean, I can't, I can't not keep going back to it because even though he was a, a general, he had to have take like he had to have taken in school some sort of art. He probably took theater and found a passion for musical theater and like had no way to to express it. But he finally found his way as a sociopathic <laughs> genocidal maniac. God willing. Isn't that always how it is? Are you implying that James is a bit of a drama queen? I'm no, implying that, he, that he's a theater kid. No, I'm implying that he probably played Frankenfurter in, in goddamn college. <laughs> Look, he has been waiting to use that lighting arrangement with the dramatic spotlight for years, okay? Oh, yeah. Give him that. It was in his contract, and he, and he was just like, you know what? If this school's going down, I'm going to use these lights. <laughs> No one else is using them sufficiently. It's up to me. And in case anyone's like, wait a minute, military academies don't have a theater. Yes, they do. Military academies absolutely have theater programs. I should know. I've been to their performances. <laughs> I mean, could all of this have been avoided if they just put on a show? <laughs> Musicals can save the day. This all could have been avoided if Salem had gotten some goddamn grief counseling. <laughs> Let's be real. This this could have been avoided at so many turns. Most of them start with her. So the answer is probably yes, but also she guaranteed that we went way too far <laughs> for that. All, all I want now, <laughs> all I want the rest of this podcast to be is a fan cast for... <laughs> What what musical would Ironwood take top billing in? What character would he play? I already I already named it. I already named my pick. <laughs> Stacy, how about you? What musical is he starring in and who's he playing? He's playing Javert. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> it's not A the girl party after one, my own heart. But it's the one that he was perfect that's, for. That's what I was gonna say. That wasn't the, that wasn't what he auditioned for, but oh, no. who, whoever the theater director was went. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's we were, enough. Thank you. We're ready. <laughs> we were gonna do guys and dolls, but then you showed up and we went, okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's just pivot everything. <laughs> well, <laughs> take it down, everybody. We're gonna do Les Mis. Uh, <laughs> Katie, uh Javert, or did you have another pick? I mean, Javert is kind of the pick 
let's be real. If you want to lean into the parody, he might be Officer Krupke. But yeah, Javert is kind of like the easy go-to here. Ah, uh, what can I say? I have a type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On that note, I want to take a quick moment to talk to you folks about iTunes. Her type. (laughs) Hey, we're not in the love loft yet. (laughs) Uh, But folks, thank you so much to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate, subscribe, leave a comment. We love hearing from you. And it is one of the best ways that you can help us out by making our podcast more searchable for people who are looking for Rooster Teeth related content. So we, we can't say enough, you know, thank you so much to everybody who supports us in that way. And we like to give people who leave iTunes reviews a little shout out. And we have a new one this week. Uh, Stefan Voice, this podcast, and I can't read the rest of it because I'm looking at it on my phone. (laughs) Um, But we have a new review from Gigawatt Conduit. Been listening since RVB 13 and haven't regretted it. Love the cast. Love their energy. From Mark's Camp Camp Crush to con- and Conspiracy Corner to Katie's Cursed One-Liners and Megan possibly being a mad scientist to Stacy just wanting nice things for insert female character here. Because really, who wouldn't? If you like RT animated content, can't recommend it enough. So thank you so much, Gigawatt Conduit. You're the best. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. That was great. Yeah, just Justin's a regular on our Discord, which, not to completely derail it, but we have a Discord, and we've actually had a, a fair uh, influx of new uh, new people. So come on down. Our link's down in the description. Join the conversation. Join the gaggle of regulars that just say the darndest things. <laughs> oh, man. Some of the stuff in our Discord just absolutely gives me life. Um, it, but there are other ways to interact with us on social media as well. Be sure to follow the whole team at the Rooster Team. We have a number of Twitter shoutouts this week as well. Uh, we have Paris, who wrote, can't wait to listen to their podcast after we dropped our last episode. Uh, Jem Emerit, just finished Ruby Redux Volume 8, Episode 8. And before I start Episode 9, I want to put in my two cents for Megan's bouncing horror room. <laughs> if no one put... Uh, <laughs> If no one has come up with it yet, I propose the Terra Trampoline. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Chris, half the battle, uh, had some pretty fun things to say about our discussion last time with Cinder. T and Vines also uh, sent us, <laughs> just totally followed up with my ding dong, the witch is dead, witch old witch. Thank you for picking up what I was putting down. Really appreciate it. Cam Griffin sent us a heart after we tweeted out uh, a reminder about our latest Welcome to Vale episode. So thank you so much, Cam. We always appreciate the support. And uh, Shadow Angel also, as always, had some really great stuff to say, specifically regarding Salem and her plans. So thank you so much, Shadow Angel. Uh, we, We just, it's always so nice to hear from you. Uh, so thank you guys so much. Thank you to everybody who who follows and interacts with us on Twitter. Once again, you can do that at the Rooster Team. And we have a sponsor for this week's episode as well. As always, this podcast is sponsored by Fred He Bakes. He is doing cookies right now. And you guys, the cookies are a amazing his flagship cookie is the brown sugar buddy it's like a cross between a molasses cookie and a spice cookie and a ginger snap it is chewy it is soft it is amazing it is really good at getting you through at least one day of quarantine because for me that's about how long a box lasts let's be completely real 
highly recommended. If you are missing those fall flavors, if you are wishing that fall flavors would come back, if you're like me, basically, he is doing the maple brown sugar buddy as well, which is all the goodness of a brown sugar buddy with a twist of maple. And if you are not a spice cookie person, if you are more of a chocolate person, he's got you covered. He has the big chip buddies. They are huge. They are soft. They are fluffy and they are full of chocolate chips. A plus plus do recommend. And if you want to try a little bit of everything, if you're not quite sure what you want and you want to give more than one a try, he also does customizable sampler boxes. So you can try a little bit of everything and then order more of everything because it's all amazing. Everything is made fresh to order, never frozen. Everything is made in small batches and you cannot find these flavors in stores. You can only find them at fredhebakes.com. That's three words, fredhebakes.com and use coupon code the rooster team for 20% off your entire order. fredhebakes.com, coupon code the rooster team. Treat yourself, you deserve it. And while you're buying things online, be sure to also head on over to our Tee Public and buy uh, some merchandise of the silly things that we say. We got a lot of fun t-shirts and stuff there. Um, so yes, go go to Tee Public, check it out. It's a really good time. Thank you again to, to Fred for sponsoring us. And thank you so much to everybody um, in our Discord, everybody on Twitter, everybody who supports this show. You guys are all amazing and we love you. Okay. Let's get back to this episode. We have emerged from the quagmire that was Ironwood's, like, <laughs> insanity. Um, so as we move away from that, let's move instead over uh, to the immediate aftermath of that blast with Jean, Ren, and Yang, and Emerald. And what we have here is it's basically their journey from Monstra all the way back to reuniting with Team Ruby and sort of the the, the journey that they go on there. Um, because uh, they, there actually are a significant number of emotional and story beats that we hit in a relatively short amount of time. Um, and it feels emotionally impactful. Like it, it's, su it's such an interesting leg of this story because it's I feel like it's really efficient storytelling but also really emotionally impactful and really good at moving the story along so uh let's let's start with um let's start with Emerald first first and foremost she's off on her own initially in the wake of the blast and tears actually come to her eyes as she's looking at the ash that is falling from Monstra and she just says very quietly to herself Hazel and yeah it's it's this really sad emotional moment um and then she basically proceeds to after this really emotional moment she proceeds to basically be read her rights for the remainder of the episode and it's very much a dealing with the consequences of her actions Basically, the entire time, Jean and Yang are not ready to forgive her. And Ren, even though he's willing to work with her, um, I, I, he acknowledges that his teammates are going to have a little bit of problems with that. And we get his emotional read on her, and he sees the color purple. And I'm not, I'm going to be honest, I'm not quite sure 
what that means. Um, I, <laughs> I went to Google to look up what particular colors meant in terms of emotions. And the color that <clears throat> the thing that kept coming up for purple was like creativity. And I'm like, that's not helpful right now. <laughs> but uh, fun fact, one of the things that did come up was loyalty. So, hmm, interesting. I have no idea if that's what she's actually feeling. <laughs> but given what we know about her, it wouldn't be that much of a surprise. Um, and then we we have them going through the subway tunnels. And she has to see firsthand all the people of Atlas who are now hiding in here as they make their way back over to the Schnee Manor. And I wanted to get everybody's take on, you know, Emerald's journey here thus far up until this point has been extremely interesting. It's been one of the most interesting. She's been one of the most interesting characters to keep an eye on um, throughout this entire story. Uh, What do we like? What was your reaction sort of seeing her journey in this episode? Let's go ahead and start with Stacey. We've largely seen Emerald as a very reactionary character throughout the series, especially reacting to Cinder, being, you know, completely loyal to Cinder, following her lead. So seeing her have to kind of work through things on her own really does make her one of the most interesting characters so far. No, very morally gray. We're still questioning things. We're not 100% with her necessarily, but... She's definitely going on a journey. And yet, starting that scene with her kneeling in the dust and murmuring Hazel's name, I think that was a personal attack. <laughs> I think that's what it was. I That, that one hurt. <laughs> it was pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> and it really, really set kind of the mood of the whole scene because we didn't really know emerald was getting out of there and she was going with them and it feels like yes she's kind of latched on to oscar at least in so far as well hazel worked really hard to get him out of here maybe that's worth seeing through and if anything i do think emerald is you know good at seeing things through and then you know getting out of dodge when it's time (laughs) she does also have a good eye for that uh and you know we're going through the tunnels and the entire team is is basically you know kind of leaving her off in the background she's standing there with her hands up and emerald semblance I feel like would make it really easy for her, all of her protesting. We should just go our separate ways. We should just go our separate ways. I was just kind of waiting for her to just go. That's one of her special talents, right? (laughs) So the the lady doth protest. Hmm. (laughs) Here she is standing there. So I think that really also kind of shows where she is in that moment, despite, you know, all of them, with the exception of Ren, being very guarded about her being there. I think that, yeah, I think that's really insightful. Mark, how about you? What did you think of Emerald's journey in this episode? 
Stacey, you bring up a very, very good point. And no matter what the uh, mood ring that was shining <laughs> around her means, it's got to be something of um, being like settled not well not necessarily settled but like she wants to be there you know in so many words of she's still figuring herself out but ultimately she is there to uh i i I would assume not to let hazel sacrifice be in vain um but also she she is some form of scared of everything that she has been around. And we saw it kind of on Mercury's face before he left on the worst possible uh, road trip that any of us could imagine. Um, But with Emerald, I I think it's less of her strat of seeing how this all plays out and being more of a, I think... I should be with them for a while. I th- I think I think I want to stay with Dad this weekend. Like <laughs> you can't. Dad's gone. Well, so, well, Mom's coming back, and she's gonna be pissed. <laughs> I'm gonna go sleep over at the not so friends friends house. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what it is. It's like, well, they have an N64, so I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the sleepover anyway. <laughs> They're the neighbors that we pass in the street sometime. It's fine. <laughs> She has it's that little it's that little girl who always has the eyes of help me. <laughs> Let's invite her over for dinner. <laughs> Mark has turned this into a personal attack again. <laughs> Man, when but when you mentioned the personal attack of Hazel, like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Is this entire volume not a personal attack? Wasn't it a personal attack from episode one? I mean, at the same time, I have a lot of complex feelings that I've been assembling over the past couple of weeks of show that I haven't been able to express. (laughs) This is true. Oh, man. (laughs) Mark's just going to let out all of his feelings, uh, like, towards the end of the, like, all all of the kinetic energy that is built up from him not being able to podcast. (laughs) It's just going to explode and and wipe us from the internet. He lets it out as a primal scream and somewhere a whale explodes. God, I hope not. That would be a terrible power. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> What's your power? Worst I let off stress and endangered animals get even more endangered. Oh my god! The only the only whale that better explode is a fudgy the whale. That's it. That can be arranged. <laughs> oh man. See, when we pass the hour mark, we all kind of go insane. A little bit. So, little bit. <laughs> mm. so yeah, Katie. Thoughts on Emerald? I think most of what I want to say has already been said, so I just want to go ahead and pin this prediction to the wall because this is where I live now. Um, They're going to use her to get around the ultimatum because her semblance can fool pretty much anything at this point. We're not sure if it can fool cameras, which might be wild, but it can fool Grimm, it can fool people, and it can fool whatever the fuck Salem is right now. So... Odds are, I would not be surprised if she used her semblance to make everyone think that Penny showed up at the vault and did a full-on, I can't do that, Dave, when Ironwood asks her to open it. So that's 
that's where I am right now, especially with the whole when we were walking through the subway tunnels and, you know, showing her the results of all of her actions and, you know, the, the walk of shame, as it were, and telling her, yeah, someone with your skills will be helpful. Like, yeah, pretty sure that's how that's going to go down. So I just want to pin that to the wall there. Maybe put some red thread around it. Conspiracy board it a little bit. <laughs> I think that's a really solid prediction. I Yeah, I don't think it's an accident that Emerald is a player that we have. Um, you know, I don't think that it's... Again, especially considering how much emphasis has been placed in the last few episodes on the extent of her abilities and how much her semblance has grown, it it really wouldn't su- surprise me if um, she played an integral part in how that all ends up playing out one way or another. Uh, yeah, whether or not that'll be enough for Team Ruby and Co. to forgive her, uh, Again, <laughs> baby hmm. steps, baby steps. We'll see. Or whether or not she even wants their forgiveness. Like, um, she she might be willing to help, but is also like, hey, I'm still loyal to Cinder. Or, yeah, it's it. I think ultimately it's going to come down to whether or not she still feels particular loyalty to Cinder. And I don't know whether or not that's going to come to a head um almost immediately given uh cinder's upcoming trajectory in you know at the end of this episode so we'll have to see how all that plays out but i think that's a solid prediction absolutely um but she's not the only one kind of unpacking everything that's happened uh as they're making their journey ren makes the observation you know um that he he's kind of been aware for a little bit that Oscar was sort of, sort of hiding the truth about Ozpin having come back. And, and I, what I love, what I loved about this moment is that Ren said it in a way, he said it with a smile. He didn't say it with any hint of malice um, because everybody was so mad at <laughs> husband for so long um and they were so mad at him for being a liar and for hiding the truth that i think oscar was really anxious about them all finding out um and in particular finding out that he lied or or at least sort of obfuscated the truth a little bit um but i i really liked this moment because Oscar actually comes to Ozpin's defense a little bit. Um, and it's it's genuinely touching. And I'm not sure Oz I'm not sure Oz really deserves Oscar's kindness, but it was really sweet to see anyway. And and yeah, even even Ozpin thanks him for it. Um but yeah, it's it's you can definitely see Jean and Yang kind of having to process this new information. Um, so yeah, what did we think of Oscar kind of imparting this information on to everybody else? Uh, let's start with Katie. Let's start with nobody deserves Oscar. He is too good for all of us. <laughs> we do not deserve this good, good boy, but here he is. 
I really appreciated the execution for this scene. And like you said, coming from Ren, it's, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's been helping you out. And everyone else like, excuse me, what? What? <laughs> yeah, we're past the hour mark, so I'm brain dead. But <laughs> I just, this was well done, and I appreciated it. Mark, how about you? Uh, same. I mean, there's not not too much more to say other other than like, uh, like the the only thing that that I really pulled from it was learning about the the kinetic energy from the staff and the implications of what hap of like l- learning a little bit more about what happened at the end of volume three and like did the amount of power that he released eviscerate his body or was that something else or like how did oscar survive like now like we've answered a question but we also now have more questions as a result it was like asking for a very complex answer show your work and they just gave us a yes or no answer That sounds on par for Ozpin, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Stacey, how about you? Uh, The thing I think that most struck me about um, both Ren and Oscar in the scene is how far a little bit of trust goes, right? Oscar has been trusted with, with Oz's cane, with that great power. And in turn, he gives a bit of that kindness back to Ozpin. Whether or not he deserves it, but Oscar is a good boy and is nice to people even if they don't deserve it, and we love him (laughs) for it. But Ren also, uh, really interesting to see Ren with a lot more confidence now that he doesn't necessarily feel so alone with his emotions anymore. It's like knowing you're terrified, but also knowing that everyone else around you is terrified, and that allows you to be brave. Team Brave Boys. Yeah, and we're, we're seeing that, that play out with him. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's it's getting to see what every like actually physically see what everybody else is feeling. Um, yeah, I think is something that allows him to feel comfort, and yeah, allows him to to kind of like. Be like, oh, you know, we talked about a temperature check earlier. He can literally do a temper <laughs> a vibe check with everybody and yeah, can can act accordingly from there. A hell of a cheat code. It's like he got his upgrade and just immediately found some Zen. <laughs> I mean, it it's it's been nice seeing seeing this development for him. It's it's been really nice. Um okay, so yeah. As they make their way through the tunnels, um, they eventually do make it back to the Schnee Manor, and we get our reunion with Team Ruby. Yang and Ruby are reunited, and it looks like, you know, any thoughts <laughs> about the, the the sort of fight that they had at the top of the volume, like, all of that is forgotten, and they're just happy to see each other. Um, really cute. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I we got that out of the way. And Yang also says, hey, to Weiss, it's a nice, it's a great friendship hug. It's great. All right, guys, we're running up to the love lot here <laughs> real quick. We got to go because there is a huge, huge moment um, as Yang and Blake, uh, Yang and Blake get reunited. And it is incredibly sweet. Um, and it's incredibly, it's incredibly sweet. It's incredibly tender. And I very much read it as romantic. I was 
cheering for them to I was chanting kiss, kiss, kiss. We both were. There's video proof. <laughs> and so I'm a little bit bummed that it didn't ultimately end up in a kiss. However, this show has been leaning into Bumblebee as very much of a slow burn. And let's be honest, it was an extremely intimate reunion, even though it didn't actually, even though a kiss didn't actually happen. Listen, when you've got a slow burn going on and you're very much in a crisis situation, you don't always need a kiss. You don't always need something extremely overt. Sometimes just that very sweet forehead touch can do it. It's perfect. It's chef kiss. It's a quiet act of intimacy in a crazy, crazy situation. And as much as I was rooting for them to kiss, 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 (laughs) what they did, this, this, just this little forehead touch, Perfect. Thank you. Yes. Stacy, how about you? Here, here. It was so tender. It just, God, it was so absolutely lovely. And just, yeah, it was such a quiet moment of intimacy and not the kind of tenderness that we often get to see. And, you know, silhouetted around all of these things going on. It was one of the nice breaths that we got through this episode. And I, I, yes, a kiss would have been great. But honestly, I kind of loved this wholeheartedly more. It was so tender. Now, Mark, we know that the love loft isn't (laughs) your favorite place to be. But given that, you know, this is more or less like, I, like your feeling is that ships you like talking about cannon ships we've loaded so, the cannons <laughs> <laughs> so what was your thought on this uh on this particular reunion scene megan you used the word that i was going to use intimate like it wasn't it was uh, it was everything like once you said intimate i was like okay i've got to think of an, a different word and then stacy <laughs> said tender and i went yes that's the other one crap what do i say now but it's it's so what I what I want to say to to sort of contextualize this because there's been I I there's been like people aren't reacting to this well and and so here's what I have to say in regards to that and to how I thought about the scene how this scene played out was a lot more realistic than a scripted anime or a scripted show or whatever you watch a scripted show where there's this there is a a romantic subplot or whatever and when something big happens there's a big swell and there's this sort of culmination of this scene and or culmination of this with a big show of like oh that finally did it this this act of the of the 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 tenderness I think cements their relationship more than if Yang like busted open the door and said, not now Ruby, I have to kiss Blake, you know, like, like really, <laughs> really sort of like telegraphed written, like t- telegraphed like anime or, or sort of a, a romantic subplot actiony thing. This was a much nicer expression of these two being the most important to each other like we we saw the litmus test of yang reacting to ruby like i missed you too and and that like ultimately everything that was leading up to this point like 
I'm just so happy to see you. And it, when it came to Yang and Blake, this, it was like everybody's been saying it was so nice, but at the same <laughs> time, uh, a kiss in this relationship amongst these two, like we're, we still like, I know this episode felt like a finale, but we ain't there yet. And so from this moment, one of two things are going to happen. Uh, one, after a, a similar climactic event that they both survive, they will, they will like, oh my God, we, I can't believe we lived through that. And they will express it with a kiss or they're going to get separated again, which will eventually lead back to that other option. So ultimately this was a this we're like this isn't the end of the story and that's one of the things that i think people always forget about any sort of scripted medium is you are watching something that is currently in progress let it play out and enjoy the ride and if you want more guys that's why god gave us fan fiction seriously find what you like and immerse yourself in it and enjoy the canon while you're along with it. It's and don't time. go after the people making the real thing. <laughs> oh my god, yes. That, that should be something that goes without saying, but obviously it's not. So thank you for saying it. And yes, support your content creators, because without them, we wouldn't have this. They don't make canon by committee. They have their own reasons to tell the story, and they have their plans that we do not know, and... We talked a little bit about this, but the animation cycle is a long one. But also Rooster with Teeth everything, has... sorry, with everything that the state of Texas has gone through, I mean, the, you know, the world is going through a thing, but then you add the freak blizzard and ice and snow and all of that, like these these people have their own lives that they're dealing with. They then have their professional lives and then social media. Be just be considerate. Like, like we're not asking you to not express an opinion, but be considerate. Oh my God. Like, ugh, I can't imagine what everybody went through during that, during those crazy couple of weeks. And oi, 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 oi. At the time of this recording about yeah, a couple weeks ago, Texas suffered a massive winter storm, and because its power grid is, one, disconnected from the other two larger national power grids, and two, deregulated to hell and back and not in any capacity winterized, it essentially shut down. So there, at the time of this recording, which is March 1st, there are still people in Texas without water, without power, still having trouble with this because of that. So they delayed this episode a week while everyone was still very much in the thick of things because their employees had no power and no water and they were concerned with their employees' well-being, not their work output, as they damn well should be because they care about their employees. So, yeah, please do not put your entertainment over the lives and livelihoods of other people. Don't do it. Just, everyone please chill. <laughs> Things are difficult right now, but you can stand to wait another week for that cliffhanger to resolve itself. And it was worth the wait. But just 
It's fine when stories don't go the way that you want them to. It's fine when stories do something that may not be exactly what you want. And while it's not necessarily fine when stories fuck up, understand that no piece of media you consume will ever be completely unproblematic. There will always be a storytelling issue because somebody doesn't have the experience or the knowledge to be able to portray something correctly or in a good light. There might be someone who worked on it who it turns out is not the best human being ever. There is never going to be a pure, pristine piece of media. And if you're looking for one, you will never consume media again ever. And honestly, what is the point of that? You need to have the awareness and the tools and the willingness to say, you know what? Yes, there are parts of this media that have problems. And I understand that these are the problems. And I understand why they are problems. And I would love for this piece of media to fix those problems in the future. But if that's not possible, I can understand that, yes, these are problems. And I can still consume this media while I disagree with this particular aspect of it. Like, guys... Nothing's perfect. Pick your battles. Be kind to people. And I've been a Red vs. Blue fan for years. If you want to talk, hey, this media definitely has some problems. There's some good stuff, but there's some problems. Like, guys, you go back and rewatch some of those first seasons and it's like, oh, oh, they're still very funny, but oh. So yeah, chill. TLDR, don't be a dick. Yes! <laughs> I think that that basically sums it up. But to get back <laughs> to specifically the romantic aspect of this, it actually probably is better that they didn't kiss right here. One, because that would mean their first kiss was in front of all of their friends, which that's not exactly what my choice would be for a first kiss, just generally speaking. But also, two, the last time two characters kissed on screen, it was immediately followed by Jacques stealing the election. If these two characters had kissed on screen and then that was immediately followed up with Ironwood making his ultimatum, <laughs> like no characters would ever kiss again. Everyone would be like, we're just not allowed to do that anymore. I, I do like how you conveniently left out all of the murder. <laughs> we didn't have to go into that. No, the other part. <laughs> I did forget about the murders. I'm not even going to lie. I definitely forgot about the murders. I thought I, I was, knew you, Megan. That's very unlike you. <laughs> it's because, like, I don't view horror movie monsters as being the problem. The real problem is the political instability that led to this ultimate mm, in the first place. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very good. Also, also, I have a terrible memory. <laughs> I just plum forgot about it. I remember Tyrion appearing <laughs> like out of the shadows and murderizing that one guy, but I totally forgot about the moment that they framed Penny for murder. Oh my god. Also, <laughs> didn't Pyrrha kiss Jean before everything oh, went no! down? <laughs> rule of three! <laughs> it's a bad time for everyone involved. It legit would have been rule of threes, yeah. Because well, Pyrrha kissed Jean, and then she died, and then it Nora could also kissed be... Ren. <laughs> And can then we hope? Died. <laughs> can we please hope for third times the charm instead of rule of threes? I like your I, optimism, but I don't know how much stock I can put in it. Fair. Yeah, given this show and given everything, this episode, 
right now? Nah. <laughs> no, I, I like that, Mark. Third time's the charm. And that's, that's maybe that's what we're going to get, is like Bumblebee will be the third on-screen kiss, and it'll be the one time where nothing bad happens immediately after. <laughs> it's been a long enough road, you know? <laughs> nothing bad happens immediately after. <laughs> no. They deserve nice things. Give exactly. them nice things. Exactly. Please. Crow's not allowed to have them, so someone else should. <laughs> BTW, just that little that little moment where Yang blushes is just oh so cute. And something we didn't, you know, talking about whether or not this moment works uh, as opposed to, you know, whether or not it would have been better for them to kiss. I actually really liked um, the moment where Yang touches her face because that's exactly what she did to comfort Blake after they killed Adam. And so I, I think it's an expression of, you know, it's very much an expression of the bond that they have. So I, I very much think that works as much as I would like a kiss at some point. I think it worked for sure. Uh, just while we're up here in the love loft, Oh, God, I've been tricked. (laughs) While we're up here (laughs) in the love loft, did anybody notice that when Ruby was, uh, before Ruby stopped in her tracks because Emerald was there, Oscar was, like, reaching out for her to, like, come and give him a hug? (laughs) He was so ready. (laughs) He was was... like, yes! (laughs) Hug position, here we go! And nope. Hug position assumed. Ah, shit. (laughs) Is this what oh, is this what the human hug feels like? <laughs> <laughs> it's just he was so ready for that hug, and it was it's such a bummer that it was denied. <laughs> he was ready for it. He needed it. He's tired. He's bruised. He just really wants that little bit of human contact that doesn't involve him getting punched in the ribs. And nah, fam, nah. Nice try, kid. <laughs> Emerald, haven't you done enough? <laughs> haven't you taken enough from us? Ah, uh, yes, that's what you want to hear when you're about to go in for a hug. <laughs> oh, man. I was talking about us, specifically, audience members. <laughs> she robbed us of that hug. She didn't mean to, but she robbed us of that hug. Uh, it's not her fault. Oscar robbed himself of that hug in choosing to take Emerald with them. <laughs> This is a consequence of his actions. <laughs> we'll get the hug later, provided that everyone lives. <laughs> okay. Can you can you mirage me a hug, please? <laughs> it's literally just... the least you can do. Right, you can, did this. Can we just pretend we're hugging? I really want a hug. Oh. Or maybe that's how we start off the next episode like it was really mean to end with uh ironwood's ultimatum so maybe we start the next episode instead of with a giant explosion we get to start it with ruby giving oscar a hug and going sorry i didn't give you a hug two seconds ago <laughs> hugs for everyone making Except up for, for last emerald. <laughs> yeah she doesn't get a hug not yet she needs one though she does your girl is in dire need of a hug bare group, minimum not the one giving it to her right now yeah, she's probably, if we're being honest, she's probably thinking about her friends Mercury and Cinder. And speaking of Cinder, Cinder has 
a very interesting scene in this particular episode. Uh, before we move on over to Cinder, any other thoughts about Jean and company and Team Ruby? Anything else before we move on to Cinder and Watts? All right, let's get to what may be, for all of the fantastic stuff in this episode, what may be my favorite, <laughs> my favorite thing of this episode, which is Cinder and Watts's, um, you know, in the wake of the explosion, they're trying to figure out whether or not anybody else possibly survived the explosion. And Watts, you know, he he doesn't know if anybody else survived, but he's like, well, Salem will put herself back together. We need to formulate a plan. And that's when it comes out that his agenda does not line up with Cinder's because his plan to murder Penny uh, doesn't line up with her stealing Penny's power. And he's like, yeah, I don't work for you. That's <laughs> You're not my supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> And that's when she uh, grabs him, hauls him over the edge, and basically declares that she's going to drop him and wait for Penny at the vault and then ultimately take what is hers. And what we get is an absolutely stellar monologue from Chris Sabat, who absolutely knocks it out of the park as Watts, I think, probably for the first time is somebody who is less powerful than Cinder, who is not afraid to speak the truth to her, um, or at the very least is not intimidated by her power. And he gives just this absolutely powerhouse monologue. Uh, what did we think of this moment in particular? Let's start with Mark. Return of Sabat. Like, <laughs> dude, this, <laughs> you, like, you're not my supervisor is that straight up energy, but... <laughs> So this is this is a normal man. I mean normal in quotes, you know. But this is a this is a human being, a humanoid being with a supreme intellect who has no fear in cutting down somebody with the powers of the maiden. And I'm or of a maiden. And Cinder was getting so hot I thought she was going to turn into a car. But other than that, <laughs> Like, (laughs) man, feels good. Feels good. But, um, agreed. Like they're very much print. There are a lot of Prince of all Saiyan vibes in this and 100% warranted. Um, I, I do like how we have a clear idea of he's not, he doesn't assume direct control. It is just, it is, I say just it's Penny fighting a virus and, and, that straight up confirmation from him is just like, well, let's see where the, let's see where the chips land. Um, is like, well, I did my part of the bargain. I am the only, I am the only person who has gotten stuff done. What have you done? And, uh, man, his, his tear down, especially after what we saw from Cinder, I think everybody expected her to kill him. Like straight up, because we we know that she has that intent when pushed to a certain thing, but there has to come a time where you have so much trauma that you you have to you have to realize it. And and the only thing that um, this whole episode gave us is our we 
everybody has a target and it's the vault of the staff of creation and it's going to be the weirdest and wildest series sets of fights that we're going to see and i can't wait oh my god did sabat blow this out of the water like oh my god yeah concur 100 percent. katie what did you think of this monologue this is another scene where i was like who storyboarded this who storyboarded this you are amazing just all of the little motions all the 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 well duh motion of him slapping his forehead and let's not forget when you did this dumb thing and the shot of him accusing her and then the camera traveling up her arm to end at her face just there was some incredible storyboarding incredible camera work in this scene i mean this whole episode yes but this was another one that really stood out to me uh sabbat straight up killed it of course he did we are not surprised (laughs) but it's still nice to have that little reminder from him like oh yeah yeah he pulls it the hell out when he gets the chance and it is incredible phrasing and (laughs) yes thank you mark thank you mark (laughs) you done you got me back for the beginning of the episode, Mark. <laughs> Are we all having fun? Sorry, Katie, finish your thought. No, no, it's that. that was, I, you know what? Yep. Yep. We missed you, Mark. Get out. <laughs> no, please stay. It's fun. Um, where the fuck is my train of thought? It's been derailed. <laughs> Thank you for putting that penny on the rails. The whole thing just... No, we're putting penny poor on the rails. Poor choice of words. Hit by a different train. Yeah, poor <laughs> choice of words. Poor choice oh, of words. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not what I was going for, but you know what? How Zero regrets. <laughs> You're done. Stay no, secure. no, I'm not done. And there is an urban legend that if you put a penny on the rails of a train, you can derail it, which isn't true. It just flattens the penny. But... That's what I'm wow. happening to pennies. It's really rude. <laughs> I would say, I'm sorry, but I'm just fucking not. <laughs> I'm not. And I appreciate the, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to let you have it with both barrels mentality of this entire monologue. Like, well, if she's going to kill me, she's going to kill me. But I am damn well going to let her know what I think of her and all of her everything before I go. Because I'm not going to get an opportunity. See, you know what? Fuck this, fuck that, and fuck you. And it was incredible. Just the takedown of just because you've suffered it isn't enough. And oh, let's go over your litany of mistakes and bringing back the thing with Raven. Which, it's been a few seasons, you guys. I hadn't forgotten but I'd forgotten. So bringing that back and being like, oh yeah, there was a point where we thought she was super dead because she super lost a maiden fight. Yikes. Just, yeah. I I appreciated just this entire litany of fuck-ups for Cinder and how well it was delivered and the fact that it sufficed in keeping him alive. I was more surprised that she didn't drop him than anything. Yeah, that was, I wasn't sure where this scene was going, uh, but I wasn't sure, I definitely wasn't sure he was going to make it out of it. Stacey, how about you? What did you think? 
this was such an incredibly brilliant takedown. And yes, the storyboarding was amazing. Yes, the animation was incredible. And it was so interesting. We've seen characters, you know, been absolutely chewed out, been told off. But to see this dynamic in play, I feel like it made this this absolute takedown even more effective. The dynamic between the two of them is different from a lot of kind of the dynamics you see when characters really go in on each other like that, in that they know each other very well and work very closely together, but they're not close. And as Watts is very quick to point out, he doesn't work for her, but they work in the same sphere and they know each other very well. So he knows everything that hurts he's fearless in calling her out on anything smart human man dangling <laughs> stories and stories above a bustling street zero fear he is going to get it all out there he is going to tell her off and she's going to sit there and listen to it so to see someone who with this this disconnect absolutely rip into her and to call out everything that is true because he was right he was right about pretty much everything but it didn't come from a place of trying to want to help her improve or make her see like her trauma and understand this is coming from a place of such deep like sense this inflated sense of self-worth that watts has <laughs> I mean, he is absolutely just completely full of himself in this scene, right? Yeah, it's a it's a little bit of the pot calling the kettle black, for sure. Right? I'm obviously better than you, even though you are holding my life in your hands. But let me tell you why you are still terrible. And he made it work for him. <laughs> I think what's really interesting about this is now that we have Cinder's backstory... A takedown like this hits a lot different than it would if we hadn't gotten that episode. Um, because for a brief moment after she pulls him back, like, she's that little girl again. Um, in a way that I don't think she has been, uh, like, for the entire time that we've known her throughout the series. Um, and yeah, Watts has an overinflated ego, certainly, but I think the thing that really saves him here is his absolute knowledge that killing him is literally one of the worst moves that Cinder could possibly make in this scenario. And, you know, and, you know telling her that without pulling any punches is exactly what saves his life, uh, is just letting her know just how thoroughly it would be like how thoroughly it, it would be terrible for her to do the thing that she's threatening to do, which is amazing because he does it without, without groveling for his life. He does it without saying, well, if without me, you can't possibly get, you know, the, the winter maiden or without me, you won't be able to control Penny, da, da, da. you know, all, all the things that like a cliche villain could have said. Uh, that's not what he says. He basically tells her that, she needs him 
without saying you need me without screaming you need me at her instead he's screaming at her that you're always wrong and i'm always right (laughs) so go ahead (laughs) do what you're gonna do and see how that works out for you and i think that's like it's incredible how effective (laughs) that is um but yeah it's it's also great because it's you know it's this what what does Cinder want above all else? She doesn't want to feel helpless. She wants power. And here, with just his words, he's reinforced to her just how powerless she really is. Um, despite everything she's gone through and despite everything um, that she's, every bit of power that she's obtained, at the end of the day, you know, she's still that helpless little girl. And... It, it's remarkable to see that realization dawn on her. Um, but before they can really hash out anything else, uh, she gets a text message from one Neapolitan <laughs> who, at the top of the episode, we saw her gleefully skipping away from the carnage, which was absolutely remarkable. <laughs> um And so she gets a text from Neo basically saying, hey, you want the lamp, you want the password, Uh, you're going to have to give me what you owe me. Like, no more messing around, give me the thing that you promised, which was her, uh, we can intuit, is her revenge. And so what I ask is, what does this mean for Neo and Cinder moving forward? Uh, Like, how... How, what's going to happen next? Is Cinder going to make a beeline for Ruby? Or is Cinder actually going to lean on Watts and try to outsmart Neapolitan? What's the play here? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. I hadn't even thought about this, honestly. (laughs) Just, we have no idea where Neo is, except that she's having the time of her life. And... The last we see of Cinder is sitting on this rooftop, rattled, with her plan a little bit thwarted. So I don't know if she's going to try to meet up with her again. I don't know if she's going to try to track down Ruby. Like, we know that this is currently the goal is find Ruby, bring to Neo, or find Neo, bring to Ruby. But we have no idea how either of them will go about executing it because they don't know where Ruby is. They can make some guesses. They, they've both been to the Schnee house, but they don't know for sure that that's where she is. So I get the feeling that this particular plot line's going to be a little backburnered for an episode or two while we focus on Ironwood causing problems on purpose. So that's where I am with that. Um, I would also like to point out that I really do think Watts programming Penny to self-destruct is just his ego. They chose his project over mine. Well, now I'll be the one to make sure that she's destroyed. Like, okay. Yeah, I I absolutely think that it's less of like, this is what I think Salem wants me to do. And more of like, how can I screw over Pietro? Like, how can I really stab him in the heart without stabbing him in the heart? And I think that's, I think that was more the the mental process there. Um, How about you, Mark? What do you think? What's the next step? I think without telling Watts, Cinder is going to get Neo to, hey, meet up at the vault, LOL. Like, I I, I legit (laughs) think that all 
all points will lead to the vault. Like, hey, Ruby is going straight to the vault. Why don't you just meet me there? And I think Neo might hide the lamp, maybe? I like I or maybe it would be some sort of a condition of if you bring the lamp first give me the lamp then um then uh but but I think everybody is going to land at uh at the the staff of creation That's the point where all these different roads will converge I think that's fair Stacy how about you Yeah I must concur with Mark I think that Cinder isn't quite ready to pass on the uh, deal with Neo to Watts's knowledge, but I definitely think she will try to, you know, demur to Watts's knowledge and be like, okay, so now we have to beat Penny at the vault, right? And try to get these two events to converge in one way or another, um, which she's had varying degrees of success you know implementing these plans before so i feel like there might be a chance watts sees right through this uh gets to orchestrate a little bit more than cinder expects yeah i mean it 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 genuinely all depends like cinder's in some hot water right now i mean i think the thing that they really do have going for them is they got some time at the moment. Who knows how long it's going to take for, for Salem to reconstitute herself. Uh, yeah, but that's really the only thing they've got going for them right now is Penny's been infected with a virus and Salem's not here at the moment. Uh, <laughs> how can we best how can we best figure out what to do from here? Um, but yeah, if there's one thing. If there's one thing that I think has been emphasized in this volume and the previous volume, it's not to underestimate Watts. Um, even if she does feed him some sort of line um, to try to keep the whole truth from him. Like, yeah, I, I think it, he's made it pretty clear he's smart. <laughs> I don't know if she's capable of outsmarting him, but I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be interesting, is the long and short of that. And with that, we have been going for two hours <laughs> to talk about this 18-minute episode. Uh, do we have any final thoughts on this week's episode before we wrap it up for the evening? Mark, let's start with you. Just as a bit of a reminder for everybody, if you weren't live tweeting with uh, with our request, I would love to hear whatever the dream casting of uh, James Ironwood for your show of choice. Uh, Cause I would love to one inspire a couple of artists and two shout those out on the show in terms of the episode sad and <laughs> the, the next it's only gonna keep building from here and the crew be knocked it out of the park. Stacy, how about you? More hugs for everybody now while they can still have them. <laughs> Smile and demand. Other than Hashtag that, I'm... hug for hugs for Oscar. <laughs> hugs for Oscar. I think we just need a solid like three minute scene of just everyone hugging Oscar, just like Aww. taking turns and giving Oscar just lovely hugs. Uh... <laughs> a girl can dream. <laughs> Agreed, Katie. 
As for the hug thing, I'd like to repeat, this is why God gave us fanfiction. And also, just in terms of thoughts on this episode. <laughs> Stop screaming. I leaned away from the mic. It's fine. Yeah, no, this is, uh, this was many. This was so many. This was much. This was, uh, this was a lot. Can't wait for the next one. Can't wait for Kirby to rip my heart out and stomp on it again. It's going to be super fun. <laughs> this was spectacular. Um, as much as it breaks my heart, seeing James go full villain is uh, both terrifying and exciting. Uh, I can't, uh, again, some absolutely stellar performances in this episode. Some absolutely haunting visuals um, just all, all around excellent job to the entire cast and crew uh thank you ruby for for making this episode happen and um you know we're sending you all our best wishes and and you know sending good vibes your way we hope you are all staying safe and staying healthy um you know keep it up uh <laughs> sending positive thoughts your way just please 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 stay safe and take care of yourselves uh and i think on that note let's go ahead and wrap it up for this week. Mark, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? You can find me on Twitter at Mark Medonica. I'm also on Instagram and Twitch. Uh, I've been having a light return to streaming uh, before sort of ramping things up. Um, we played the hell out of Pokemon the other day and uh, we're playing the, the Crown Tundra DLC, which is really fun. So uh, we're going to finish, I say finish that up. We'll probably finish the plot soon enough. So go check me out over there. Um, but other other than that, follow me there for any other projects that I might be working on because there's a lot in the air right now. And I'm I'm happy to be back talking with everybody. And and this was this was a blast. Stacy. I'm Stacy Shuttleworth. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stacy Shuttles. Currently I have jumped back into the jewelry making world uh because Hades the game is inspiring as hell. And I need to make things inspired by all the characters. So uh I'll be working through what I have and waiting for more supplies to arrive. So you can follow that journey on Twitter and Instagram. Katie. I'm Katie Cullen. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxet. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos to Ruby episodes, other Rooster Teeth stuff and other various random things, they live on that channel. I am also on an Overwatch podcast called On the Point. It is currently on hiatus because the Overwatch League season is on hiatus, but my co-host and I are going to be com coming back in a soonish manner to talk about all of the crazy things that happened in the offseason and the season when it starts in mid-April. I would also like to bring up, since we discussed the winter storm hitting Texas, that the city of Jackson, Mississippi is also a good chunk of it is without water, without power, and it's not getting near the publicity that Texas is. So if you are able to support any charity, any fundraising for either of those cities, for one, please make sure that it is le a legitimate fundraiser. And two, if you are able to do that, please do. There are still very much people in need. And I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. Uh, be sure to head on over to Silver Screams if you want to see Katie and I talk about horror things. I'm also on a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, where my co-host Will Link loves Lost, and I don't, and we talk about it. Yes, please, please, please support, you know, the people who are in desperate need right now. Please, please, please 
please do that. Um, and again, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, all that. And we have one more announcement before we wrap it up for the night. As always, we end with the important things. Wear a mask. Anytime you go out the door, it doesn't matter how long you're going to be out the door or how far you are going. You cannot control other people's movements or decisions. You can control your own. And wearing a mask protects you a little bit and protects everyone else a lot. And that is honestly the point. So wear a mask. Support your essential workers. They do not have the option to stay at home, and they are the reason that you are able to go get your groceries, get your coffee, get whatever it is that you need out there. So be patient with your essential workers. They are doing the best they can in a very difficult time. Be kind to your essential workers. That includes your postal people. The post office is still suffering from shenanigans. So support the post office, support your postal workers, support your essential workers. They all need it. Black Lives Matter, Black LGBTQIA Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. That has not changed. That is not going to change. I know we're well into March, but still, thank you for voting. Still appreciate that. And make sure that you vote in all of your local and state elections as well. Change starts at the local level. It is very important to be involved in your community, in your state level government, all of that fun stuff. Make sure you know when your local elections are and make sure to vote. Also, be sure to contact your Congress people. And either if, they, if you like what they're doing, let them know that you like what they're doing. Be specific. If you don't like what they're doing, let them know that you don't like what they're doing. And be specific as what you do want them to do. They are your elected representatives. They are there to represent your interests. So make sure that they know what your interests are. And if you're a human being who doesn't like being on the phone, that's perfectly fine. Emails and texts are also perfectly valid. So make sure you vote. Make sure you contact your Congress people. Black Lives Matter. Make sure that you wear a mask and take care of each other, you guys, because that is the only way that we are going to get through this. Bottom line of all of this is just take care of each other. And remember that we love you. Thank you all so, so much for listening. This has been Ruby Redux, and now it's time to say goodbye.